I'm psychologist Dr. Becky Spellman, and this is my podcast where I interview people about their extraordinary life stories. On today's episode, I'm interviewing Alex Skeel, domestic abuse survivor whose near fatal abuse at the hands of his girlfriend Jordan attracted widespread media coverage due to the extreme nature of the abuse. Alex's girlfriend controlled, beat, stabbed, starved and tortured him, leaving him with severed tendons and burns. She also prevented him from receiving medical treatment for injuries she'd inflicted. When Alex was finally removed from the situation, doctors told him that he'd been 10 days away from dying because he'd been denied food for so long and his injuries were so bad. Alex's ex-girlfriend is now serving seven and a half years in prison. This is a candid conversation between myself and Alex. It's not a therapy session, but we will be talking about the psychological impact of those events. Some people may find some of the content in this interview distressing. Do you remember when you started to take an interest in girls? Do you remember what age you were? Literally, it was Jordan was the first person and I never thought about it before that. I was not interested. I didn't like the colour pink and I was <laughs> just, I was not interested at all. It was just football, football, football. And then it just changed like that. How old were you? Uh, 15, yeah. How did you meet her? Um, well, I went to go and watch my friend in a college performance and she went to go and watch her friend we never met before. And it got delayed. Um, so basically we just started talking and that was it, it just sort of went from there really. Did she start talking to you or...? Yeah, she started like... speaking to me first, so for me to never have... It seemed like a girl was interested in me, for her to come and speak to me first... Yeah. ...sort of helped with that, really. Yeah. What did you like about her when you first met her? It's very hard looking back now, because I everything. Yeah. <laughs> but, I don't know, just... She seemed pretty caring at the start and... Yeah, but other people could see different things but I was happy and I didn't I just thought it was normal just yeah go on with it really what was the early stages of the relationship like fine but then maybe a few months in when the family paid to go to London to watch a show she just disappeared and took us an hour to find her and she was laughing when we all found her was she on her own yeah she was with us like it was a whole family and then she come with us and she just disappeared by herself and then it happened again when me and her went abroad on holiday and, and it was those little mind games I think right at the start which happened really. So she would sort of hide and she was she would patiently wait there until you yeah, would come and find her. it was almost like she was behind me watching my moves so I'd never find her but she was like watching me so she was never going to be found until she wanted to be found yeah that's how it felt and that's how it seems looking back but yeah the, when the family took us to London and we when me and her just went to Egypt it's the same situation happened and I think like, her doing that was to make me sort of latch on to that sort of attention feeling I don't know why mm. she did it but it helped sort of get that element of control in place with like yeah. emotions and stuff. Would you be worried about her when she would disappear? I, I suppose yes, but I just wouldn't know what the hell was going on. I'd just be like, well, where the hell is she? Mm -hmm. What is she doing? So yeah, I wouldn't actually go and look for her. And I think, yeah, she just did it. So I would, I can't really explain it. It's so hard to explain, yeah. but like looking, looking back now, it was the start of the control. And it right. was just her way of gaining that control, I think. Did she have close um, friends? Well, she had friends, yeah. She had friends, but I, was, I never really saw them. I saw them on a few occasions, and yeah. Yeah, so that was that holiday was when you were 17. Yeah. And then what happened next in the relationship? Um, well, I had my 18th birthday party and it basically just went bad. <laughs> was that a party with your twin? Yes, yeah, so yeah, mine and my twin's 18th was just, everyone remembers it for Jordan going crazy at a family friend and just being really horrible and... What happened? 
Well, she was just name-picking a girl that has been a family friend of ours for years and being horrible to her, and then it just reached boiling point and she just went over and Jordan went over to this girl and started going crazy at her for some random reason. And Was she shouting? Yeah, yeah, just shouting. And for me, it was quite embarrassing, but then you didn't really know whose side to be on and because there was that element of control in place, it was you had to sort of side with her, even back then. Were you scared of losing her if you didn't take her side? Yeah, I think so, yeah. But it was just so awkward because you had like hundreds of family and friends just watching your girlfriend have a go at a family friend. And it was just like, yeah, literally the 18th birthday was just horrible, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. So, How did you deal with the aftermath of that in terms of your, your family's reaction to that event? Um, basically, it sort of, that was... So if you watch the documentary, it obviously explains that we split up for a little bit, about a year. Um, right. We broke up, and about two or three days after that, she got got my friends um, to bring her to my house, and they both. So both of my friends come to the door and said, "Oh, we've got something to tell you." And Mum looks in the car, and she's in the um, she's in the car, and she comes in and says, oh, "I'm pregnant." And you'd, you'd been broken up for how long at this point? Two days. Two okay. days. And then we're thinking that it's her just playing games, mucking right. around, basically. But no, we found out it was true. And I so what, what was your reason for breaking up with her at that point? Because well, you, you'd it, had a break and then Basically, you she was, she was breaking my phone, um, controlling me to what to wear, how to have my hair. And it was this little control then. And... What would you say to her initially when she would do things like breaking your phone? And I think some of it sounds very subtle, but when yeah, she would actually I just, like take your possessions and break them. How would you initially, in the early days, how would you? Well, it's kind react? of like I don't really know. It's so hard because. Were I, you angry? No. I was obviously sad that my phone had been broken, but mm. I was then quickly trying to think in my head how can I excuse this? How could, what excuse can I make for my phone to be broken on? Did I drop it or what's the story going to be? Because I didn't want anyone to know that it was her that broke it. Right. And things like that. So you didn't feel the emotion of anger at the time? No, it was just like blocked out that and just how do I sort of make an excuse for this happening and how did my phone break? So I just made a story up about it. But I feel people knew deep down. Did you feel embarrassed that your girlfriend had that control over your life that she... To be honest, I didn't really realise it. I knew I wasn't particularly happy at the time and it was doing my head in and it was really annoying me. So I just said, look, I can't do it anymore. And it was after she snapped my SIM card. So I rang my granddad, <clears throat> come and pick me up. And that was it. And then, what, a few days later, she turns up saying she's pregnant. And wow. You think that straight away she's lying just because she's playing a game, but no, it was true. And I said, mm. well, look, I don't want to be with you, but I'm happy to support. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I didn't hear from her for about a year and a bit. When you got the news that she was pregnant, how did you feel emotionally? Um, well, I was scared because I think at the time... How old were you? I was I ju obviously just turned 18 and I was sort of in my own head thinking car, what is this going to look like and reflect on me? How is this going to look for me? And is it going to stop me from doing the things that I'm doing? And Did you have hopes for the future at that point? Did you well, have ideas as to what you wanted to well, do? I wanted to be a football coach. You know, I didn't think it wasn't going to affect that. I just more or less was thinking in my head, it's now just going to be used as a means of getting at me. She's going to use it as a tool. and. It's, there's always going to be something there to connect and I'll never get rid of her sort of thing. And at that point you didn't want to be with her anymore? I didn't want to be with her but I said look I'm, really, I'm more than happy to support with money and things like that and see and, and basically yeah and then I didn't see her for a few months, about a year in three months and next thing she turns up at the house with TJ and then 
I ended up seeing her about a month after that because in my own head I had to get over the fact of seeing her again sort of thing because she'd do horrible things like send stuff in the post for like my brother and family and what would she send in the post? Like, Fat reduction clinic vouchers and do you know like freebie mailing list things you can just do. It was like who who would they be addressed to? Anyone in the family, like my brother and my parents. Would we? It wouldn't be obvious it was from her, or she would <sighs> it kind of, sign it. Or? Well, it wouldn't be from her, but you'd, we knew it was from her because we never had these letters before, and why would they come through our door? And yeah, the names and that she would call people would be really relevant to the things that were sent in the post. Right. So, yeah, we knew it was her. So, so was she would really target people from your family yeah, and some basically, of these things. Did she yeah. send anything to you during that no, period? nothing. Nothing was sent to me. And um, did she try to contact you during that period? No. No, I, I just sort of detached myself from her, changed my number and everything, because I knew that she'd just cause problems, but... And you'd never met your son at this point? No, I met him when he was three months old. Um, I think it was three months. I can't remember. It's too much has happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... And that was the first time that you'd ever seen him? Yeah, yeah. Um, How did you feel the first time you met? Is it TJ? Yes, um, yeah, it's TJ. I, I, just an instant bond, really. It's a bit strange. Obviously, I missed out on things but yeah. yeah just there was reasons for that and I'm kind of glad now that because everything that has happened if he ever was to ask why wasn't you about I can say well when they get to the right age I'll show him everything that has happened and it will explain why so yeah it's nice and comforting for me because I've got a very perfectly valid reason as to why I wasn't there at his birth and yeah that's widespread media now as to why so it's quite nice to know that I've got proof yeah. as to why and he can understand it better when it get, when he gets to the right age and if he ever wants to know that's something I need to work out but yeah yeah to meet him for the first time was was nice and then he would she would come round sort of every weekend and I'd spend time with him and that was in the September of 2014 and then January the 1st 2015 we got back together again so was that when she came around when yeah. he was a year and... He he was three months old. He was three months old and I think when he was about six months, seven months, we got back together properly. Right. And then things would start to happen again that the family didn't like and she was around ours quite a lot. And then I think my cousin... My cousin was holding TJ and she just ripped him out of his her arms. And um, Was she angry? Jordan was angry, yeah, and I don't know why, but then she said, right, you're coming with me, and she sat me in the car and said, right, you can go home and never see us again, or you come with us and be with us as a family. And that was that. I never seen my family then for, like, two years. Where did you that. go to live? Well, I went to go and live with her parents. Right, so, so that's where you were initially living, was with, with her parents. Yeah. So and was that where you continued to live? For 18 months I was with her parents, and then after that we moved to Stuartby, and that's where all the physical stuff started to Right, so, so, that, so you ended up being isolated with yeah. her. Yeah. And tell me about um, what started to happen with the physical stuff. So what was the, the first episodes of um, physical violence? Well, obviously we moved into our own place and I think, I don't know what it was, she questioned me on something that happened when we weren't together, which I could prove that it wasn't true, but she was trying to make out that she had heard that it was and she's got proof that it was. So in my head, I know that it's, I'm telling the truth, mm. but she's saying that from other like people have said that this actually happened and there's proof of it happening. So in your head, it's just completely like, oh my God, like, I know right. I'm telling the truth, but it just matches your head. And that was like sort of more of the control. Because you thought that she didn't believe you. Because yeah. Because she was saying, yeah, and she was me. constantly questioning, questioning, questioning. And it got to the point where she just ended up smacking me on the head with glass bottles to get the 
truth out of me. Was that the first yeah, the physical? Fir- yeah, yeah, so the first oh, physical one was that, and then obviously I managed to get rid of the bottle, and then... What did you think the first time? Do you remember the first time it happened? Yeah, I was. I fell asleep and she just smacked me on the head. You were woken up? I by... was woken up by being hit on the head and... Did you understand what was supposed to have happened? Do you understand what, what might have triggered her? No, but no, I it was just these... I don't really know what it was. She just thought that I... Accusations? Yeah, basically just accusations and then she would just smack me on the head when I was asleep and... How did you feel the first time that happened? To be honest, it didn't really hurt because I was asleep and it was just shock. Cause yeah. Like, what the hell? Like, what? And then obviously... What did you do when you woke up and realised that that was happening? Oh, I just... I got up and it took me a while to actually realise what had happened. Because obviously when you're in deep sleep and it's mm. smacked, and you just see the bottle in her hand and you're like, Jesus, there was no blood that time. It wasn't, Yeah. it just sort of, I think it hit me like here and it was just a bit of a bump and it was sore for a couple of days. But mm. then it just gradually got worse. And then when I managed to then realise to cover my head, she would start smacking me all over my body and things like that. So she was quite clever in how she attacked because she would start to understand how I'd defend myself and find ways of getting a, around it. Yeah. Sort of thing, and then obviously I managed to get rid of the bottle, and then she got the hammer. Then she started smacking me with hammers and things, and then pretty much anything that she could find. Wow. Yeah. What was going through your mind when you were being physically attacked in these ways? Because it it sounds like it escalated really. Yeah, quickly. it did escalate really quickly. I think more or less just defend yourselves at all times. You can't move your hands from your head. I wouldn't mind it when it hit me on the body or down the legs. It's just hit me on the head because pretty much every time, certainly with the hammer and other things, it's just, I don't remember just looking in the mirror, nine times out of ten my face would just be covered in blood. I wouldn't be able to see skin yeah. on my face. And that happened like... Well, I've worked out, I mean, for about nine months, I was hit on the head at least three times a night. So it was more than a thousand times I was smacked on the head. Every single day? Every single day, yeah, pretty much. What was going through your mind during that time when you were, you were enjoying all of this um, physical violence? I think just hoping that the next day would be better, but then as soon as it starts getting to knives and you're getting stabbed, as well as getting smacked with hammers, when and was the first time that she used a knife? It was just before Christmas because um, the only reason I remember is because we went to a Christmas fete like the day after. She stabbed mm. me across the top of the knee and I wrapped a scarf, football scarf really tightly around her. I just remember I was limping like I've never limped before. What kind of a knife was this? It was a bread knife, a long bread knife. Um, yeah. Yeah, it just smacked me straight on the knee and I was wearing like black, similar like to that and I just remember seeing it open and then just seeing like the corner of my knee bone and I was in like the kitchen and I was just seeing it was just it didn't bleed that much but it really hurt but I just tightly went like that and then did you think about going to hospital I asked but she said no so I just got on with it because I if you try to sort of go against what she wants it just cause more problems you just please them please i think anyone that's a victim would understand that you have to just keep pleasing them because that's your only hope really because at this point she had gradually sort of taken so much control that you felt quite powerless yeah pretty much and what had she taken away from you at that point well i I literally well i I hadn't seen my family and friends my phone wallet playstation was smashed and i don't even know what actually happened to it i think she smashed it and put it away but she got rid of that because it's a form of contact with people Mm. um (coughs) she brought like finances out in my name so i got into debt so just constantly had debt letters through and then were you working I was working at the start and that's how we moved to the place that we had we were renting and then I lost my job as it sort of started to get 
because my performance levels were dropping and they said, yeah. look, you're not performing well. I mean, I don't know what they think now, but there's a reason for that. Mm. Um, and was that you were working as a football coach? No, I wasn't working. It was just working as a... Um, I was at a sort of like some trailer company doing parts, that sort of thing, but yeah. store and that. And then they just said, look, you're not performing well enough. And, that. and obviously she didn't let me coach football which was what I loved to do as a hobby and I wanted to do it as a job and it sort of prevented me from getting more qualifications to get better at it and so did, was she wanting to have an impact an influence in terms of what line of work you went into she just didn't want me to work and just beat me at home all the time pretty much. What conversations would, so if you suggested to her like something you were interested in doing like work-wise, how would she respond? What kind of words would she well, use? Sometimes it would be, no you're not doing that and then sometimes it would be, oh you're rubbish at it anyway so why do you want to do it? Right. But then sometimes before you go to bed she'd be like, yeah you can, you can, um, you can do it. Or she didn't say no so you'd go to bed like feeling quite really excited because everything's so miserable. You'd go to bed really excited, then wake up in the night just getting smacked again. And then you just know oh, she was just, it's not the... Did you hope that she would change? I think every day you just hope that you'd get hit one less time than you did the day before because that would be a better day. But and then towards the end it was just more or less, certainly when the boiling water and this, the sort of knife that got worse. I just sort of was just saying, I'm going to die at some point, I'm just waiting to, that's it, it's done, so sort of thing. You did feel that you would die? Oh, 100%. A lot of people have asked that and said, did you actually, like, I've read the reports 10 days, did you feel like it? I said, 100%, I could smell myself. I was yellow, I could hardly walk. My body was just battered. I. I mean, you've watched the documentary, you can see mm. in my ABEs and that I've got bandages and just my personality, I'm not much different, I am in a sense, but you can just see that like, I'm just bleh, nothing. Yeah. I'm completely different now to what I was then. I think when I watch it back, that's when I realise how far I've come, not in terms of injuries, because I can see that, I can see the scars on my body, but in my personality, yeah. I didn't realise how actually it had affected me as a person. When you had lost, you lost how much weight? Oh, about four or five stone, I think. So that meant you weighed how much when, when uh, you got out of that situation? About seven stone. So you weighed seven stone, so yeah. that's I'm I'm eight stone, so you you weighed even less than me. Um, yeah. And what was your? How did you go through your days? How did you pass time during the days when you were were at that at that level of weight loss? You weren't allowed food. It, was, it wasn't that it was long. wasn't that it was quick. I didn't really. I didn't care about that. I didn't think about it. It was more or less just defending myself. That's yeah. constantly, 24-7, because sometimes we'd be awake till 5 in the morning when she was attacking me, and then get, like, half an hour sleep, and then we'd have to wake up. How would she spend her days? Well, she'd go to university. She was obviously studying a degree in art, and then I'd go and sit in the car, and the lucky occasion I'd get, I'd be allowed to go on the computer, but then if I went on the computer, I wasn't allowed to delete the history. I wasn't allowed to log out of the computer. I had right. to show her what I've been on and things, and if I went on stuff that she didn't like, she would have a go at me. So she had access to everything? Pretty much, yeah. And then when she went to university, you had to go with her? or yeah, Were yeah. you ever allowed to stay at Yeah, home? I went with her. I never stayed at home. I either sat in the car or went on the computer, pretty much. What would you do when you were in the car to pass time? literally nothing I would just, wait. just literally wait and I think a lot of the times I thought certainly towards the end when I thought that, that this ain't gonna happen for much longer I was thinking a lot about growing up and playing football and just things that I used to love and enjoy doing because I never in a million years ever thought I'd do it again. I, d I didn't yeah. think I'd do it again I, I, I thought I'm gonna just die I'll never get the chance again just keeping your head thinking over what's what's been going on really it's just yeah like 
I find it weird that it was two years ago that all this was happening. And yeah. Two years on, obviously now I'm coaching football and actually on Saturday my team that I coached have won the cup. So, yeah. like, I sort of say that like, two years ago I was in hell and now I'm in heaven, like, two years on. It's just amazing to think how much it's changed. And to never think and I'd do it again to then the first opportunity that I have to manage a team, we go and win something in the first year. And I always said to people when I come out of it, even when I had bandages on, like first week of being at home, I want to get back to coaching. And everyone was yeah. like, no, you can't. You need to get better. You need to get better. And obviously I started helping out. I did little bits. And then a year after I started managing my own team, I did a lot of charity work with that. And then we've gone and won a cup. I just find it amazing really it's amazing how your life has changed in such a short period of time yeah i just it is it has all happened really quickly like the actual the the controlling was a long time but then the physical stuff was really really quick did you get affection in that relationship in terms of what well there was all of this um, control, violence you believing that you were going to die in that relationship yeah was there a reason to stay that was were you receiving love from her well, was she it was it was the children it was it was the kids I had stayed for them obviously my daughter was born five weeks before it all finished yeah um, I actually thought that would possibly stop it but it didn't it actually made it worse um, and yeah so I stayed for them because I didn't know what was gonna happen to them and I made the right decision and everything's gone the way it is because they're perfectly fine now and living with yeah. me so what was she like with the children I did most of it to be honest really and, yeah she didn't so I never really realized that I did until you go into you like look at documents and statements that people have made like neighbors and they've mm. gone Alex did all the caring but I just I don't think I didn't realize because I was stupid I was so many other things that were going on I never thought about it but yeah, yeah. when I think back I did I was always taking TJ in the garden it was only me she'd sit there on the phone and I'd come back in and then I'll be doing something wrong I think the sort shocking of. thing for people who will have seen the documentary is she looks um, quite petite, quite yeah. polite, quite well-spoken, polite. Yeah. And there's one image of her, I think it was when the police had come to your house, and she has the baby, and she's yeah. uh, what looks like being very caring and nurturing towards the baby. It yeah. looks like she's being a caring mum. Yeah. It was very hard, perhaps, for the person looking in on the situation to suspect that there was anything yeah, odd. Yeah, 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 because I fed Iris the daughter quite, I did all the milks and everything, because we used the powder one, and... Yeah. yeah, so I pretty much did everything all through the night, in the day, as well as getting her. She didn't do anything, really. And then if what something wasn't done, it would be my fault. Right. I think the way I see it is if I asked you to cook, you wouldn't cook it well enough. And then mm -hmm. if you didn't cook, it would be you never cook so you're just never ever right and that situation was to everything so and would you really try to get it right even though it seemed like it sometimes was sometimes I did because I really wanted to eat yeah. and sometimes I just couldn't be bothered I thought it's just the less stuff I do to agitate her or to sort of set her off I ain't gonna bother mm -hmm. I just ain't gonna bother and what yeah. was it like when the police first started to visit you? Um, well, obviously the first time was, what, <coughs> a week before? That was the very first The first place. major time. There was one time that they come out before, but it wasn't really... I was limping a bit because of my knee, and they didn't really realise, but that wasn't major to me, but it was possibly a point the police could have looked at. If it was a woman in my situation, they'd have probably done something about right. it, because they was set off because of an argument. They were sent out because of an argument. So. Uh, who was shouting when the um, the argument took place? Well, we both were, because she was telling me I'm a liar and I'm saying stop, stop, stop. So, yeah. I mean, so you would sort of verbally stick up for yourself in yeah. situations. Yeah. And I think that's sort of 
also may be confusing for people because if two people are going at it, it's it's sometimes maybe hard to see actually yeah. who's who's at fault until you put all of the information together. Yeah, because obviously I see the neighbours a few times, um, and they said um, at the start, we'll be honest with you, we didn't really know what way the sort of abuse was going. We knew something wasn't right, and we probably thought it was you doing it, being the perpetrator, because that's right. just normal. But literally a week later, we started to realise that something majorly isn't right, and you're the one because I would walk out with cuts and things on my head. So they and they'd was, see you. Yeah, they would. And they never questioned anything, really, right until the end. When the police come round the first, first time um, for the major stuff, I obviously, that's the video footage mm -hmm. of the documentary sees me with my wrist cut. Um, yeah, so that all happened. I went to the hospital, come back. I was walked out of the hospital with a cannula. Can I just ask you about the police on that the police visit that time? Because what I saw in the documentary was you were still saying, "No, I'm fine. I yeah. did it. I, I self-harmed. I did it to myself." What was it like for you, where you were being pushed to reveal this information that you didn't want to reveal? <laughs> well, the first time I come round, it was pretty much. I just blamed it on myself and that was fine, the police accepted it. And was that difficult to try to convince someone that you were cutting no, yourself? It wasn't difficult for me because I, in my head all I'm thinking is if I say that it's her... I, I never thought that they wouldn't believe me, but I just... Anything that I did what was against what she wanted, I would get massive repercussions for it. So you so thought the police would I'd, leave and then you would Potentially, be I never really thought that. It was just more or less the consequence of saying it was her. It just never, ever crossed my mind. And then yeah. the moment, the perfect moment, which was a week after that, was in the police car and he obviously turned his body cam off and said with a few swear words, sort of, what the hell's going on? And I said, okay, fine. Yeah, she is doing this to me. So, did you feel safe in that moment? Yeah, I did, because the doors were locked and I was just me and him. And he had the camera turned, body camera turned off, and it was literally straight away, bang. And people say, could you have done it any earlier? And I think, well, if it was any earlier or later, would it have the same result? And would I be in the same position as I am now? I think everything happens the way it does for a reason. Yeah. And just leave it as that. I'm quite uncomfortable with changing yeah. Sure. And also you, d you didn't know because if you had said to the police, yes, it's her and they left, yeah. then who knows what yeah, would have I happened. Think certainly now I've done a lot of conferences and talks and I've heard people's stories. And I think, Jesus, I had it quite good. Like the police officer was amazing for me. I realised how amazing he was at the time, but now I do because if it was another police officer that I could have said, yeah, this is happening and they could have just left. But I think with the officer I had, he, um, it wasn't me trying to convince him, he knew. Yeah. Because he was there a week before, come back a week later, and he knew something was up. So it was more or less him trying to draw it out of me. I think it was quite remarkable that he had the empathy for you and he didn't dismiss it because you're a male. And yeah. I think that there would be lots of people who would just see that as perhaps a two-way thing or that perhaps you'll be fine because you're a yeah, male and yeah. she's quite petite. I was lucky because he was, what, three years into being yeah. a policeman? If it was someone that's 30 years, I may not have had the same yeah. luck. But obviously, Ed, he's, he's done, the police officer's done loads of interviews and he never, ever says... He don't take the credit for it. Yeah. He doesn't ever say that other officers wouldn't have done the same, other officers would have done the same. He just says, look, we're all working hard together. And I like that about him. He hasn't got... Other people would get really arrogant over it. Yeah. I don't think he has at all. And he's been very down to earth about it. And I suppose during the whole time, that whole 24 hours of her getting arrested, and I've always said it, Everyone that dealt with me, actually, it is their job, and it sounds stupid, but they actually treated me as a human being before they actually did their job. Mm -hmm. And if they didn't do that, would it have had the same... Everything was almost taken out of my hands as well. Yeah. Like, I'd literally just have a form put to me, just read through it and sign it. Little did I know that that was a list of charges or bail conditions and yeah. things like that, and I just didn't know. Until I got home and got out of the bubble and been with the family for, like, a week after not being, not seeing them for two years, little things, I started to realise actually how serious it was because people were saying, 
well, she's got a charge for GBH, that carries life in prison. And now I'm thinking, well, this is serious. I think it's really, really hard for people to put themselves in the shoes of a male who has experienced domestic abuse in a relationship because people are so used to it being women and they can understand that and, and they've been hearing those stories for forever. And I think it's so new for males to be speaking up. And she's the first person who was charged with coercive control yeah, because yeah, that didn't yeah. even exist. No, in 2015 it came out and she was the first person to be convicted of it two years after. Yeah. So, and it's a hard, it's a hard law to, um, prove as well and I was fortunate I've always said if I didn't have the injuries they'd never have got a charge or conviction mm. on her because it's so difficult to prove that someone's told you to do things or told you what to wear told you it's so hard yeah but most if you look at the um literature around it whatever the right word is it does always say will result in violence in the end so yeah. how are your because I know um well, we haven't talked about the, the boiling water, which yeah. I actually would like to touch on that, if that's OK that's with fine. you. Yeah. Um, because it's so hard for me to understand what it's like for someone to go through that. What was it like the first time that she actually poured the boiling water on you? Well, the first time we went to go and watch Bastille in a concert in Leeds. So, like, my favourite band in the city that I love. It was amazing. Mm. The concert was really good. Then, literally, the next morning, I wake wake up to boiling water being poured on my back, wow. and yeah, it was obviously really painful. Um, and then I spent. Then we walked around like when this. you would be screaming and and in pain. Yeah. Did you ever see any inkling of empathy from her or care? No. Or? There was one time that she smacked me on the head with like the end of a plug socket and the free prong bit smacked me straight in the head and I was bleeding everywhere and I said please can you help me and she just walked up the stairs and said no one likes you why don't you just die wow and so it wasn't yeah. a case of um she half never, of the time she was putting bandages on and no, caring for never, you or anything like no, that no no not at all no she never really helped so you you looked after all of your own yeah wounds. pretty much yeah I obviously never went to hospital as you said um mm. a lot of times when I had like cuts in my head I'd have to just get like sports thermal shorts because they're tight. I'd yeah. wrap them around my head and just wake wow. up in the morning. It wouldn't be bleeding, but my head would just be thick and straw and dry and blood would crust off of it. And yeah. we'd just go to a university the next day and be fine. That's it, leave it. And I'd just be like unwashed blood in my hair. Wow. People would see me. Have you got a lot of scars now? Yeah, I have got a lot. I think some of them have, have kind of gone but the main ones are still where they are and mm. yeah but they're all right they're sort of I'm not too bothered about them really yeah, I'm not, it's yeah. Just... tell me about the day that it all ended and that policeman who saved you do you feel he saved your life oh yeah he definitely saved my life obviously the neighbors did as well it was a whole sort of collective thing that happened that did it obviously the officer was the Catalyst. Did the neighbours did the neighbours say to the the officer, it's her? Yeah, because if I mean I I never heard like nine 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 calls or anything, but there was one in the documentary, and obviously I heard that, and it says that he's saying stop hurting me, stop hitting me. So yeah. both neighbours knew who it was, and it was quite easy for them, the police, to go and act upon it because of the injuries that I had, and there was not a single mark on her. So yeah, yeah it was. So then she was arrested. Yeah, I was taken to a hotel overnight just to be separated because the hospital didn't want to treat me because I was under a specialist hospital. And yeah. That's a long story. Yeah. <laughs> where, where were the children um, taken to they when were, that was They happening? were with her parents and then eventually she was... I went home and found out she was bailed back to, well... She was bailed to her grandparents in Norfolk, and I had inkling that she was um, actually with her parents where the kids were, and I said to social services, 
get those kids out and they yeah. did within 24 hours and I had the kids and they've been with me ever since for the last two years. So. Yeah. But then it's just, I find it strange because there's other, so many other stories and it's just the complete opposite and it's, well, I asked social services to have the kids because my wife was being abusive but they never let them and other people don't have, like, I almost, I had everything perfect for what I needed and I almost feel guilty towards other people that didn't have the support I did, but I suppose mine's a very good lesson for everyone to learn from. Did you go to the court hearing? No, I didn't go to any. I went, I walked around the um, the courts to with um, my IDVA, who's an independent domestic violence advisor, I think that's what it is. Yeah. But basically they work with people and we walked around the courts just to sort of get a feel for what it was like, it was horrible. And there was no one in there, it was just a tour. And you could yeah. see where you would stand and they'd say, look, if you want the curtain, just walk in that room, there was a sense of this room has some massive importance mm. without anything even going on. You could just sense it. And But luckily, I mean, it was leading up to it. Um, so that was before the um, her final trial. Yeah, and it was supposed to go to a trial. And then the next thing, I just randomly get a phone call to say that she's pled guilty. She's going, not right. guilty, not guilty, not guilty, and she's pled guilty. So it was like, thank God for that. Like, I don't need to go through a trial. Do you remember the day you got that call? Yeah, I mean, it was a relief, because it was, I think it was, I don't know, it was like the 10th of April or something of that year, it was gonna be the day of the start of the trial, and it was like a massive cloud, like horrible fog. And then I find out that that's the day that she's gonna get sentenced on. Mm. It's like, wow, a day that I was dreading is actually now a day that, yeah, I'm still dreading, but it's not as bad as it could be. But that day when she was sentenced was horrible. Was that April last year, 2018? 17. Two years ago now. Two years ago. Yeah. So two years actually, ago. Actually, wait there. No, it was a year ago, sorry. 2018. No. Yes, it was 2018. So it was only, yeah. only one year ago. Yeah, she's been in prison for one year. No. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. So two years you got away from the situation. Yeah, and then it was and a year later that it all finalised, and then it's been a year since then. So, yeah. But that day of sentence was horrible. Like waiting and waiting and waiting. Because I knew I wanted the officer to come and tell me to my face because she'd worked so hard on it. I wanted her to tell me. I didn't want anyone else to. But my whole, most of my family went, and then they all come back, and then we're waiting for the police officer, and then she just told me she got seven and a half years and. I didn't really react. It was just like, job done, in a way, yeah. just, ah. Oh. Had you any hopes for how long she'd get, or...? Well, I think the officer from very early on said it would be about four, between like four and eight years. So she mm. was spot on. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about her now? I don't care, I don't think about it. I don't need to waste my time, I'm just not bothered. She did what she did and she's paying the price for it. And it's as yeah. simple as that, really. Will the children, will you ever allow the children to have contact with her before they're... I can't say anything like that, legal yeah. reasons. Oh, you can't, can't okay. Can't, can't. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. How do you feel now in your life? No, it's good. I, too many good things are happening. <laughs> I'm sitting thinking... Tell me about those good things. Well, just obviously getting back doing what I'm doing and like football and all the... Obviously, the documentary coming out was such an interesting thing to do. All of the stuff I do with Mankind, which is the male abuse victim charity, the yeah. only one UK, and I'm an ambassador for them and just doing lots of talks for them. All these good things are happening. I'm sitting there thinking, ah, like, when's the bad thing going to come? Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> because... It hasn't come yet. I don't want to think about that. It's very traumatic what you've been through. Have you had any therapy? Yeah, I have. I still have counselling now. I yeah. still see my counsellor. So, yeah, and I've, I've always said to her that, look, I might feel fine in myself and I do feel fine, but the issue that I've got is when I get to 50 and 60, everyone bangs on about mental health so much. I just want to make sure that I've done everything I can to stop myself when I get to that age to not be crazy or get Alzheimer's yeah. or something like that. Because it's all these little, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if it happened, but I just want to try and prevent these things from happening. Yeah. I feel absolutely fine in myself, There's better than I ever have done. It, actually, the, what happened to me has made me a far better person, I was more healthier, 
like it's actually been a good thing. I was just going to say, have you ever heard of the term post-traumatic growth? What's that? It's well, just like you're saying, it's when someone has experienced horrendous trauma, yeah. but they actually grow as a result of it. Yeah, like even though you know we have the impact of trauma, which is negative, but actually, yeah. often, and this is this is a whole um, area in psychology that people can grow past the trauma and end up doing something very positive that yeah. they never would have done like, otherwise. I look at it and it's when I was at school and you'd be in like an English lesson or something and everyone gets a bit to read a book and they go around the class and you read like a, a page. I'd never like doing that but now I can stand and speak in front of two, three hundred people and not be scared at all like yeah. what is there to be scared about I've gone through the worst thing that I've gone through and there's nothing worse than that so yeah. everything else ain't gonna be as bad as that so just do it that's very interesting and you're not the first person I've met who said that they used to be very anxious shy and then something horrific has happened which they've overcome and and then it's like they don't get scared by big yeah, things exactly and it's like I never used to question people in the street just for doing random things but now I do because I'm not bothered I know it's not right and I kind of look at it in my sense if someone stepped in for me when I was going through it yeah it could have helped me so I'm only doing it to help them like if I see a kid wheeling on a bike like it's very common now I'll yeah. say what are you doing stop what you're doing I never used to do that but I just feel like I don't know just in my head now I'm not bothered about it. I'm not worried to do it I will just do it I'm not shy I am still shy, but I was really shy, and now I'm I'm just a much better person. I don't want to say better, but I can, I'm can. i more yeah. confident in doing a lot of things. It has changed me for the better. It was a good thing that it happened to me. Yeah. yeah. Tell me about the males who've got in touch with you. Is, is there... Yeah, it's been... Has there been a lot of yeah, messages? To be fair, it has been a lot of males. I, I mean, I've had a lot from every single gender and type of person, what they believe in, religion, whatever, you name it, sexuality, whatever, and I've, I've, I've messaged as many of them back as I can, and it's, the one thing I get is everyone goes through it sim similar, and it needs to be an equal support network for everybody, really, no one should get more, but it should be just equal, but yeah, obviously, males, I've had loads message me, and one of the guys, um, guy that I've actually got really close with now, I'm really good friends with him, he, he messaged me as soon as I went on Twitter, really, and he said, look, I went through something, I've got a girlfriend now and things like that, but from what you've done, it's actually made me tell people. Yeah. And he's only, I think he's a year older than me, a little bit older than me, like 24, 25, and for him to say that to me, I never thought, I thought that by doing the stuff that I do, like this and everything, would be to help people get out of the situation there and then. But actually, you'll find a lot of people have lived, they've got out, they've broken up or something, and they've lived maybe 10, 20 years. Mm. But it's still in the back of their mind thinking it's their fault. But then, because what I've done has made them realise that actually you were fine, it was their fault. And I've had tons of messages like that. And to be fair, they're the ones that I appreciate a bit more because I never yeah. realised that's how I'd help. But for someone to be like 10 years just guilty that it was their fault to then just relieve that. So before yeah. they heard your story... They never they... told anyone. And then because of what I did was they were happy and felt comfortable to tell people about past experiences. Yeah. And as I said, I never thought that would be the type of person that I would touch. But it's the most rewarding if that makes sense if that's what it is you've given people permission to speak yeah but and I've also made them feel comfortable and help them understand what they actually experienced yeah exactly yeah and yeah as I said the first person that messed me I was still really close to them yeah. I speak to them all the time and yeah. I think your story really helps people understand coercive control because I think that's the hardest thing for anyone to understand and people yeah. can make such assumptions like and there's lots of different ways you can be controlled like how you sit how you eat with your knife and fork everyone goes through a different but it is so similar in the way it escalates and can get really really bad it is mm. yeah. all similar but different details
Yeah. Basically. I think it's it is a shocking story. Yeah. I think it's um it's a remarkable story and it's a very positive story because of the people that, that you're now helping. Yeah. Yeah. What would you what message do you have for anyone out there who is experiencing this right now where they are particularly male in a controlling relationship? Well the one thing I don't like to do is say just leave, get out, talk to someone. I think it's just understand that you aren't the only person that's going through it. There is people out there that want to help you. Yeah. And if you feel like there's no one out there that cares and loves loves you, the person, they do. So just, if you want to seek help, go and seek help. But there will be a time where you'll be fine. And just try and remain as positive, positive as possible. Because yeah. there will be a time that you get out. I did it and everyone says to me, oh, you're the worst, you're the worst. So from what people have said about me being the worst case, it could be, you, you'll be fine. Just, But yeah, for me, I can't say just leave because it is not as simple as that. Because there's yeah. so many things that go around it. But just remember there is support out there and there is people that care about you. And yeah. if they offer their help, take it. Yeah, Basically. I think that's a really important point that um, so many people just say, well, why don't you leave and, you know, yeah. just leave. And, and I think your message is different to that. Yeah. Your message is this is complex, yeah. um, but actually you can stay hopeful because yeah. you can and get it's support. Also, it's not even on, I don't like to put too much pressure on the victim because being a victim of any sort of abuse, sexual, domestic, whatever, is mm. the worst pressure you'll ever, ever, ever be under in your life. So for me to say get out, talk, it's the worst yeah. thing, so you just put something more. So what you need to do is actually say to, if anyone is watching this or anything, if you're a person that walks a dog past a house that you're not sure something's going on, you're a neighbour, you're a friend, speak to someone about it because you could actually help them because there's a lot of people that said to me, look, if there's anything I could have done, I would have done something. And they're people that are not even close to me. Yeah. So if you've got any sort of inkling that something isn't right, please speak to someone because you could actually end up helping them. I think that's a great message because in your situation you were so vulnerable, there was no action you could have done yourself. Yeah, and isolated. I didn't know anybody that lived around me. That's the yeah. thing. I wasn't living in the same town. I was living in a village outside. I didn't know anyone. Yeah. There was no one around And in all. the end it came down to two, three people who got yeah. you out of yeah. that situation. neighbours and the police. Yeah. Yeah. It's been remarkable hearing your story, Alex. Thank you, Thank you so much for joining no, me thank today. Thank you for having me. Thank you.